As a church, we have been walking through the book of Acts. And I found myself asking after every sermon uh, this big question, how does God change us? I mean, they took this ragtag group and it transformed the world. Um, We've been looking at how the earliest church blossomed, how they grew, how they began to live in community, how they solved problems together, how they would reach out to a world Um, who often didn't even realize that they were lost. We're called to do the same still today. Um, And and it is only because Jesus Christ reached out to me uh, and reconciled me back to him that I'm able to even have a hope. Um, As a person, I'm broken. I'm flawed. Uh, In just about every way imaginable. But God's grace... Uh, It came, and and because of that, I am saved. But now as a Christian, I'm a sin ambassador. To go to the world and tell them about this good news, to tell people that Jesus came for me, but he also come for you. We've been looking at this movement uh, uh, over the past few months, and and today we're going to look at just a portion of chapter 11. And this is a report. Maybe you're going to read this here and say, maybe you messed up. We've heard this story before. Um, but, but this is a report of how Peter experienced a conversion inside of himself. And then he went and reached out to a people that is very different than him. He goes back to Jerusalem and he runs into some trouble. A couple of his buddies got mad because he ate with some people that didn't think like them. They didn't act like him. They didn't look like him. Um, so, so let me read this to you. It's Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, and I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came down to me. And when I'd fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beast and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered the second time. What was God has cleansed no longer is considered unholy. This This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. Behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house which were staying and had been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he, will speak, and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. 
And I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John was baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift that he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quietened down and they glorified God saying, well then, if God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Amen, right? Um, And so this is a story, and Luke has found it necessary to tell us this story again. Um, And and what is happening here, he is simply just telling them what had happened. Um, Not what they have to do, not what they need to do, not even what he wishes they would do. But he's just telling them what happened. Here's the big picture. And and if this is all you get from this today, I want you to hear this part. And I'm okay if this is all you take from here. The Bible is one book. Um, It is not meant to be ripped apart and one little quote taken to fit your agenda. It is not meant to be uh, diced up and and to make you feel good. You know, just take one little quote and I feel, oh yeah, there you go. But the Bible is one story about one God that has one plan to send one son to make one way for us to escape death and have eternal life. It's the whole story of God. And it's sent for us. And right in the middle, there's a baby. And he changes everything. If you read the Bible straight through, you're going to find that God is a God that changes and transforms us. He matures us. My wife often says that God loves us just how we are. He just loves us too much to leave us that way. He's intent on growing us, on transforming us, just like a good parent would do. He don't want us to live on milk our whole life. He wants us to become mature. The enemy doesn't want that. He doesn't want that at all. In fact, the Bible tells us that the enemy wants us to be a slave to sin. He don't want us to change. He wants to keep us marred up in a mess. In fact, it tells us that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to kill your dreams of ever living out the plan that God had for you. And he wants to destroy your eternity. And he makes no bones about it. All this is contrary to what the world tells us today. I mean, just look around. They tell you they want you to think freely. You have your own thoughts. You are your own person. As long as you think the way we do. And if you don't. If you don't think the way we do, we're going to fire you. We're going to cancel you. We're going to kick you out. So you're able to to be a free thinker as long as you think the way we do. And and that's what the world is doing. And, And it's called conformity. Eugene Peterson calls it, he says, it's like being squeezed into the mold or the pattern of the world. But the gospel, it tells us that Jesus Christ came to set us free from sin. That we can truly be free. We're free to think, free to act as God would want us. And to know that God has set us free means we are free indeed. It's my prayer that as we unpack this text today, that we realize that we have truly been set free. That God wants to change us. And with New Year's just being passed, There's a lot of resolutions that people have made. You know, I'm going to read the Bible this year, right? 
And so I think this is a good day for that. Are you ready for some change? I am, right? Maybe we need some change. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe our marriage is, is having some problems. Or maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's a relationship that just has been in a struggle for such a long time. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's our health. Or maybe you're like me and you want to change your waistline, right? You're going to take a miracle from God. <laughs> My wife is a good cook. But just about everybody I know wants some kind of change. And so we find ourselves in the middle of a mess, and we find ourselves sometimes at our bedside saying, God, please, just change this. Change this for me. And then he don't, and we get disappointed. It took me a long time to come to grips with this, to realize it. Um, it took, took me a long time for God to open up some of these false beliefs that I had as a person um, and, and this internal struggle that I had going on. Uh, and it influenced my life. It influenced my behavior. Um, see, when it comes to change, I wanted an avalanche. I wanted it to be quick, instant, just come on. But a lot of times, God moves like a glacier. We want crock-pot results, but we live in a microwave society, so we think we should push a button and it happened. I mean, I go to church. Why won't God change this for me? I mean, come on. So let's unpack for just a minute. So in verses 1 through 3, um, Peter experiences a conversion. Um, Luke puts this back in to this story, and it plays out like this. I mean, at first... There's massive tension. Um, and then, at the end, there's transformation. But in the middle, Peter lives out this testimony. So, uh, this is how Jesus changes us. It starts out with a lot of tension. Uh, and to move to this transformation, we have to walk through a testimony where God writes his story on our hearts and in our lives. So verses 1 through 3, Peter had this conversion, and a whole bunch of Gentiles got saved. Um, this should be super good news. I mean, people different than us got saved. It's kind of what, he, what the story says, and that should be exciting. But you know what? The church hasn't always been like that. Um, so, so, so watch as we go back and work our way forward. Now, the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard the news that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And they all got together, and they had this big potluck, and they celebrated. And, and they brought the candy that some of you guys had cooked for me over Christmas. And, and they had this big party, you know, and everybody was just happy. Um, but they don't. Look at what happens. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. They argued with him. They confronted him. It's different than what I want to hear. Now I want to hear when somebody gets saved that we're going off, you know. Uh, but, but it was different. Um, now, now watch as these accusations are being pointed. You went to the uncircumcised men you ate with them. That brings us back to the start. How does God change us? 
I mean, how do we move from that to what we need to be? We read this and we think there should be a celebration. There should be a party, but instead... The party was this party of believers that, that would come and, and that would get mad because he ate with people that was different than them. He said, we got a good system. Why did you step outside of our system? It's working good for us, you know. We got a lot of people here who act like us, who look like us, who eat like us, talk like us, who vote like us, you know. And, and, and so... Whenever he stepped outside of that, it caused confusion. But he knew that that, you know, God had moved into his heart. And he knew that that didn't reflect the character or the heart of who God was. And so now there's trouble. Peter's on trial. Um, and so if, if we could bring that forward, like, like why, why circumcision? You know, why would the symbol get in the way of this celebration? Like, why would they not be happy? How could one thing, you know, be, be what it was? I mean, come between them and trying to come to God. That wouldn't happen today, would it? How about this? They go in there, they don't sing songs like we do. You know, or, or, or here's one I bought. I mean, I, I, even today as I stand here, here's one of mine, right? You ain't going to preach like that, are you? You ain't even got a tie on. I mean, John the Baptist probably wore a tie, you know. And, and so we buy into these things that we think are so important, and, and we sometimes take these cultural normal things and, and we incorporate them into what we believe, and they're minor things, but we start to make them the major thing. And, and here's what I've discovered. When you take a minor thing and make it a major thing, you're going to miss the main thing, and you'll make a mess out of everything. And let me tell you, it's part of our sin nature to, to, to worship created things and to miss the creator. Uh, it's not a strange. It's not a new thing. Uh, you know, happened with the golden calf. They made altars to different gods. They would worship the sun or, or whatever, you know. And, and the only thing different is we could change one word. And it brings it to today. Um, we, we worship a busy calendar. Oh, look at what all we did. We worship a bank account. Look at my house. And we find ourselves in this mess. And we sacrifice ourselves on this altar. So how does God change us? Peter had heard, and he responded, and then he obeyed in spite of what the world was telling him. For that to happen, God had to put him in proximity to Cornelius. God had to put him with people who would absolutely disagree with him. Here's the truth. We don't like tension. I don't like tension. We don't like trials. I don't like trials. Uh, we don't like tests as human. You say tests that these kids upstairs just fall over. You know? We just don't. I mean, it goes every, against everything we've been taught, especially as Americans. I mean, it goes against the mindset that we're free and we are to pursue happiness. If you ask somebody, they're going to tell you, what, what, what do you want out of your life? I want to be happy. 
And when we say that, we miss the big picture. Because happiness is a byproduct. It's not a goal. Happiness is a result of something else. Uh, if you chase after being happy, guess what? You're never going to be happy. You have to pursue something greater than happiness to ever be happy. Our beliefs will dictate our behavior. We have to, what we do uh, is a direct result of what we believe. It's no surprise that we're a divided nation at most times. I mean, you take a bedrock truth, God. You take God, this solid truth, God who is all-perfect, who is all-knowing, who is all-loving, and you take him out. And then you say, you, humans, you people, you know, you're not perfect. You're not all-knowing. You're not all-loving. I mean, so you take God out and you place that in. And you say, now everybody is right. There's no absolute truth. Um, you're all winners. Everyone's equally right. You know, what matters to you don't matter to me. You're right. I can be right. We can be different. That's okay. And, and so whenever you, you do that, you wonder why it's a mess all the time and people are fighting. We have, we, what we have done is put humans in place of God. God made man. And man quickly returned to favor. So we end up in chaos. So how does God change us? How does God change that? The first ingredient is a whole bunch of tension and trials and tests. The things that will squeeze you, that exposes the things that are wrong and brings it out from inside of you. And it shows us what needs to be worked out in our lives. You may not know this, but humans naturally don't want to change. And we don't. I mean, in fact, we will fight to stay the same. We ain't never done it that way. We find a system, and then we fight to keep it just right there. Because that's what we like. I mean, it's Newton's first law, right? You've heard it. Maybe. Right? It says this. An object at rest will remain at rest unless acted upon by an outside source. I will stay on the couch <laughs> until somebody says, this cabinet needs to be cleaned out. This describes us, an object that we love it. We love to just be the same. I'm not changing, you change. You know, how, many, how many times we fought like that? I mean, I know I've said that, right? I'm not changing. The neighbors need to change. They're the ones wrong for Pete's sake, you know. I'm not changing. Look at this community. The community's wrong. I'm not wrong. It's the people leading the state that's wrong. I'm not changing. It's their fault. Look at our country. It's a mess. It's not my fault. I'm doing everything I can here. I don't need to change. They need to get this figured out. I'm an object at rest. And I love my bed. Humans won't naturally change. Peter wouldn't naturally change. So what does God do? He sends this group um, to push him just a little bit. They put him on trial. And here's what trials do. None of us want them, but every one of us need them. 
James 1 says this, my brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience. I could use a little bit of that. When you have a trial in your life, when you experience this tension, when things get tough, what's your go-to move? You know, that's what I, what do you do? How do you react when things get tough? Um, do you avoid the situation? Try to find a way around it, you know, in Food City and somebody you disagree with coming up, oh, well, we don't need sugar today, <laughs> you know? It's kind of funny, but, but you know, that's the most... That's the most. Most people do that. You pull in, you see the car, you're like, I ain't going today. And it's kind of funny because when we get together, we become an aggressive kind of mob. Like, they need to get out of there, you know? And we start talking about them and we start running them down the road and, and everything. But when we see them one-on-one, -on -one, everything's different. Who gets angry? This is me. Right? Like, I get mad, right? I am, that is me. Huh? Who, who argues? I mean, we got one of these at home. We don't even need Google. <laughs> he, no, and he would do two Google searches and six screen scrolls just to find one source to prove him right. Like, he has to go through all this other to get to one. Yeah, and I'm like, you're not right. <laughs> but we ha all have this go-to move that we try to deal with, these tensions and trials. And let me tell you, tension is one of the greatest gifts that God will give us. Um, the world works in tension. Gravity is tension. Protons, neutrons, they work in tension. We exist in tension right now. Um, when you breathe in and you breathe out, that's called respiratory tension. And, and, and so... Tension fights against our happiness, but it exposes us, and it helps us grow. Teachers in here, I see a couple of you. You give tests, right? Makes you a horrible human. No, it don't. What it does is it shows you where the students need to grow and need to learn. And so, so Peter experiences this, and it helps him grow. So let's look at what Peter does in response. Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence. What happened to Peter? I mean, it wasn't that long ago when the tension hit, he jumped up and cut a guy's ear off. You know, I mean, that's the one I like. That's the one I like, right? Uh, a little bit of me wished that he would have just come out with knuckles on these guys, you know? And that made me feel better about me being me. How about the Peter that said, forget it, it's over. I'm going to go fishing. And he avoided all the problems, all the situations. He could have been arrogant here. I mean, you think I'm wrong? What? I'm Peter. That's funny, you know. Jesus just told me he's going to build his whole church on me. That's all he did. You know, don't worry about it, though. You can, I might be wrong, but I doubt it. You know, he put me in charge. That's all he did. But he didn't do any of these. You see, God had changed Peter 
and he filled him with his Holy Spirit. And now arguing, attacking, avoiding, they're not the answer anymore. Peter tells them in order what had happened. And so nothing else mattered. He simply says, here's my testimony. That's all he does. I'm going to read his testimony, and I want you to listen. I didn't put the scripture up there, but I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention to the I's and the me's, right? It's not what he thinks. It's not how he feels like it should happen. But he says, here's what God did. Here's what God is doing. So listen to this. Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence by saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. It came right down to me. And when I'd fixed my gaze on it and was observing, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the crawling creatures, and the birds in the air. I heard a voice saying to me, Peter, Get up, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. So he's kind of saying, you know, nothing bad has went in, so it has to be good. But a voice from heaven answered a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer considered unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house from which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. And these six brethren also went with me, and we entered this man's house, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in front of the house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it did upon us in the beginning. And I remembered the words of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God give to them the same gift that he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Peter didn't fall into this trap of, this is how I feel about the situation. Here's what I want. Uh, If he would have, it would have made him the center of it. But he kept God at the center. Uh, He simply used the truth and he said, here's what God said. Here's what God did. Who am I to get in the way? He used his story. He used his testimony. Maybe you've been told that your story doesn't matter. Um, And the enemy is good at telling us this. Uh, Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Uh, You failed so many times. People are going to find out your insecurities. You you can see me. I'm hanging on here because I'm I'm nervous. You know, and and people are going to know that, Chris. People are going to know that about you. People are going to know how you messed up. Nothing you can do. Look at you. You're a mess. They're going to know you're inadequate. They know you ain't got nothing to offer. So just shut up. Just keep quiet. And this is a lie straight from the enemy. Revelation 12, 11. Listen to this. 
Revelation 12, 11. And they're talking about Satan being destroyed, right? They said, here's how it happens. And they overcome him by the blood of the lamb, Jesus on the cross, and the word of our testimony. He said, Jesus on the cross, and you telling people about the work of God in your life is how the devil is destroyed. So he knows if he can keep you quiet, there's people that are never going to find Jesus. Why? Because you didn't go tell them. People come to faith by you telling them what God has done and is doing in your life. Doesn't take hermeneutics. Doesn't take exegesis of the scripture. Doesn't take that. It takes you telling somebody about the power of this free gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it's doing in and through you. And it changes the world. And let them know that offer isn't just for me, but it's for you. But the enemy tries to fill us with these lies that our story doesn't matter. Our story is insignificant. You have too many bad spots to ever reveal anything about your life. And I want to tell you right here and right now, the only answer Peter gave was his testimony. But my story won't reach everybody. I mean, we, you know, we heard Michael Clark, you know, like, I ain't been on drugs and all that. You know, that's not me. I'm just ordinary. There's ordinary people waiting to hear about Jesus. Just like there's, there, there's people who, who in our eyes have done very bad things who are waiting. to. Your story will reach somebody. So go tell what God is doing in your life. And here's how it works. Here's why it works. Because God has linked his story with your story. And he's given us a command to go and to share. In Acts uh, 1.8, he says, you will be my witness. So your story matters. And with it, somebody could realize that God can change them. Let me tell you, if God can save Chris Bartley, as some of you know, I mean, I wasn't always a pastor. If God can change me, he can do it to anybody. I don't care who you are. Maybe you think I'm too far gone to ever be saved. I don't care who you are. God's grace is ready and available for you. God loves you so much that he's seen his only son so that you wouldn't perish, but you could have eternal life. And when you accept this and you believe this, God writes his story on your heart and in your life, and then you go and you share his story. And so here's kind of the wrap-up. After God brings you into that space of tension and he writes his story in you, he transforms you, uh, then he starts to bring about this change. Remember at the first, whenever I said, um, we ask God for things to be changed, and, and sometimes it don't happen, right? Or at least on our timetable. The thing is, God is writing an eternal story. And so he is filling eternity with his story, and so he works on a different schedule than kind of we do. When God wants to do something really big, he usually reaches really small, Right? When he wanted to change the world, he sent a baby. And when he wants to change us, he usually starts with the smaller things. Um, look at what happens at, at the end here. Um, 
And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well, then if God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Seems big, maybe, right? There's just a few people. It's about, about like what's happening here, maybe. You know, it wasn't like he had every believer. Um, uh, just a few people. But when we want change, we call for political reform. Sweeping change. We want new leaders. We want platform restructuring. Both parties need to just throw it out and start over. Right? We want procedures changed. We want practical changes. We want this to happen and we want it to happen now. But when it comes to personal change, we squirm a little. I want everybody else to change, but not for me. God changed Peter, and then he put Peter around others that were needing change. This small act led to a big change. We're all here right now talking about Jesus because of what happened right here. Though it's out there, but we're kind of all Gentiles in this room probably. You know, we're sitting here today because God worked a change in Peter, and he told his story. Where do you need change? And this is a hard question because it leads to tests and to trials. I mean, is it a broken relationship? Is it a marriage? Is it addiction? Where, what is it? When we open up to change, you know, when, when Jesus changes us, when we become open to that, uh, and, and he works inside of us, it changes our homes, which changes our community which will change our state, and that changes our country, and it changes the world. If you want to see world change, it starts right here. And a life totally surrendered to God is a force. So as our musicians come, I just got one more. I want to tell you this. Um, the difference between an avalanche and a glacier, right? Um, you ever see a video of an avalanche, right? Uh, here's a picture. Avalanches are overwhelming. I mean, it's powerful, it's massive, it's uncontrollable. It's, it's just a lot. And, and, and for a lot, this is what we want when it comes to change. We want an avalanche. Change everything. Did you know if you go to an avalanche site just about six months after it happened, you can't tell anything had hardly happened there? After the snow melts, it's just gone. It's fast, it's furious, and it's surface. Right? But a glacier. Glaciers don't really move, at least to the eye. They're slow. And if you go on one of those glacier watching tours, which is kind of on my bucket list, they say you can go and sit for hours and maybe... If you're one of the lucky ones, you can hear it crack. Or maybe you'll see a piece fall off into the ocean. Maybe. You really can't tell anything's moving or anything's happening. But if you go to the Yosemite National Park, they have signs there that say, This valley was carved out by a glacier. Thousands of years later, you can see this imprint that this glacier has left. 
You could see how, how it cut a deep channel through what was mostly granite. But on the surface, you couldn't see anything moving at all. Don't buy the lie that the enemy is winning. Don't buy the lie that your story doesn't matter. Don't buy the lie that just because you're on trial that God's not at work. Maybe he's moving like a glacier to carve something deep in your life that is going to make a change that's going to last for years and years. You're going to change not just your life, but your grandkids' life. When was the last time you stopped and you thanked God for that trial and that tension you were going through? None of us want it, but we all need it. It's in the trial that we learn to trust, and it's in that trust that we, we start to apply this truth. And it's in applied truth that leads to transformation. Your marriage, your family, your work. Where do you need change? The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. What do you need saved from? Where is your life a mess? Where does God need to step in, step from into your life? This is a safe place, and there's people right here that would love to pray with you. And as we sing this song, as they sing this song, do you want to be different? Do you want to be changed? Where is it in your life? Father God, I pray that if there's somebody here today that needs you to invade them, that they do not take another breath until they succumb to your will. I pray, Father, that we feel your spirit move right now among us. Amen.